Let, let's start our thought here with Hebrews 11.1. 1. We've got a few places to go. Let's start with Hebrews 11.1, 1, and let's talk about the principle that God laid down from the very beginning. This is the one that starts this whole thing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are three in one who dwell together in absolute trust of each other, in absolute submission to each other, doing each of the separate roles that they do and doing so with great joy. Uh, it is the, their work together that's the whole basis for teamwork. Uh, you have the, the, God the Father speaking something, God the Son creating that thing, and God the Spirit giving it life. They're always working together. You have God the Father sending the Son, the Son being sent and carrying out the whole presentation of uh, who God is and then dying on a cross to pay for us. And, and God the Father saying, if you do that, I will give you people. There will be people given over to you. I'm going to give them to you. And God the Holy Spirit then giving him life, giving us life, causing us to be born again. That's how the whole thing works together. They are a team, but there's great trust between them. Jesus fully trusts the Father. Here, here's something I think is exciting to you. Look, let's look at this verse and let's see where we go. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's all we want to look at. It's faith is the substance of things that I'm hoping for, and it is the evidence of things that I have not seen. How do we know what creation is? How do we understand? And, and honestly, how does an evolutionist know what creation is? It's all by faith. It's all by faith. Why? None of us were there. And we're having to trust some authority to tell us what happened. With us, we're saying we're trusting the one who said he did it. So we're putting our trust in him, having told us he did it. He didn't tell us what science he used to do it. He didn't have to. The book wasn't written for 21st century people. It was written for the people who lived at that time who were not necessarily the same kind of scientific people we are. That's not to say we're anywhere better than they were. Let's just simply say we look at life differently than they did. They were looking at life purely theological because they were, they were having to deal with the gods of that time. So they're looking at everything theological, so they're believing whatever is said. So God told those people, this is how I did it. Six days I did this. He's not trying to tell the physics of it. He's not trying to tell the biology of it. He's telling you, this is what I did. And we can have the opportunity to look at that. How do I know that's true? Faith. Faith is the evidence. Because I believe God is reliable. I believe he's trustworthy. How does an evolutionist do it? He wasn't there either. So he's having to believe whatever authority he thinks is dominant enough Whatever he thinks that authority that is smart enough to figure that out. So he's trusting that guy or that system. Well, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me much one way or the other. He's having to use exactly the same kind of faith and the same amount of faith that I'm having to use. So we're not different. We're, we're both religious folk, if you can follow where I'm coming from. We're both spiritual folk. We're having to deal with the principle that God laid down from the beginning. It all has to be by trust. Everybody with me? So that trust thing is what we're all having to live with. We have determined through God's grace, through the gift of faith that he's given to us, that we trust that Jesus is the Christ that he is the son of the living God, that he in fact died on a cross to pay for our sins in full and was raised again the third day to justify us and to give us everlasting life. That's where our whole life rests. Everything else we do is based on that faith right there. So everything else that we do is that kind of faith. That was the faith that uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, he talks about over and over and over again. Here's how this one expressed that faith. Here's how this one expressed that faith. Here's how this one expressed that faith. And he's just trying to show us that everybody had to have faith to do it. So having said those things, I'd like you to go with me now to Job 19. Job 19.
in Job 19, uh, he is finishing up a pretty good discussion he's having with his friends. His friends are trying to find uh, all kinds of things that he did wrong so they can justify why bad things are happening to him. He's got a lot of things to say. Matter of fact, go back to verses like 14. Um, well, look at 13. He's removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. So once, once things started falling apart for Job, what happened to his buddies? They're out. What happened to his family? We're out. You had to have done something wrong, or you wouldn't have all this happen to you. It all happened at the same time, so you got to be some kind of bad dude. All right, so we pick up this. Verse 14, my relatives have failed. My close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house, my maid servants, they count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. Uh, everybody's wanting to distance themselves from him. So let's, I want you to go down with me to verse 23. This is what he says here. No, start at 21. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Don't you see I'm falling apart here? I got boils all over me. That I'm, I'm, I'm croaking here. Why don't you guys pay some attention to me? Stop persecuting me. God's hand is on me. Let that be enough. Verse 23, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. And here's what he wants those words to be. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom shall I see for my, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. All right, let's just break that apart for a minute, and let's talk about the faith of Job. Okay, the faith of Job. Because Job has this faith, he is accounted, it's accounted to him as righteousness. That's how faith works. When you believe God, that's accounted to him as righteousness. You're, you're seen as a justified person before him. Not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of who you trust, that you're, the fact that you're trusting him. So let's look at what he says. He said, he knew, verse 25, he knew his Redeemer was alive. Look at what he says. I know that my Redeemer lives. So if his, if his Redeemer is living, when was he living? Just at the time of Job? Or was it that he already was living? I know that my Redeemer is already alive. So Job is already knowing that he's got a Redeemer. Why do you need a Redeemer? You're a sinner. You're going to have to have a Redeemer, and he knows there's a Redeemer. He knows he's going to die. We'll see that in just a minute. He knows he's going to die. Does he have anyone to take, take the place for him, to redeem him, to bring him back into what God had promised to people? Well, he knows his Redeemer lives, and he knows his Redeemer's been living for a long, long time. Um, then it looks what the next thing he says, and he shall stand at last on the earth. So that means he's not on the earth now, Right? So if he's going to stand at the last on the earth, then his Redeemer, who must be in heaven, if he's not on earth, that's the only other option you got, he must be in heaven, that he's going to come from heaven to the earth. Jesus Christ is that Redeemer. He did come to earth first time. And when he came to earth the first time, it was to share with us who, Jesus, who God is, what God's like, who we are, what we are like. He came to share with us the good news of the kingdom, that there was going to be everlasting life. And when Jesus Christ died and was risen again, he promised he was coming back again to at last stand on the earth. Everybody see where I'm at? So he knew that Jesus is coming back, or the Redeemer, he didn't know it was Jesus at the time, but he knew the Redeemer was coming back and was going to stand on the earth also. So where was Job finally going to be standing? On the earth. Are you with me? He's going to be standing on the earth with his Redeemer. All right, let's go another step. He said, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know. After my skin is destroyed, when would your skin ever be destroyed? At death. At death. 
And he's saying it even goes beyond just the, my spirit leaving my body. He's saying when my whole body goes into decay and is destroyed, you can't even find it anymore. It's back to the dust that it came from. I, I know I'm going to die. I am confident from what I'm seeing here in my life. I'm confident of what I know about everybody else in this world. I am going to die. So he's not, he's not thinking he's just going to keep on going for, uh, forever on this. He is going to die. And he said, and when his flesh is destroyed, now look on further with, or when his skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Hold on. Wait a minute. What did Job just tell us? He, he knew his skin's going to be destroyed, but somehow he's going to have flesh again. And in that flesh, he's going to see God. How's the only way that could take place? A resurrection. So here's Job already believing and telling us about a resurrection. Hey, guys, I got to tell you, where's he getting this stuff? Where does he get all this stuff? Uh, is that from Genesis chapter 1? Uh, no, not there. Where does he get it? It's because of his relationship with the living God. And God is the one sharing that with him. So Job knows, one, his Redeemer's alive. Two, he knows the Redeemer's coming to earth. Three, he knows he's going to die and his skin's going to be gone. But he also knows there's going to be a resurrection and he's going to stand before God. Now, wait a minute. How could you stand before God if you're not a justified person? Because he has believed God, he is a justified person. And he's telling us right here, I will get to stand before God. Now watch how he even defines this more closely. I love it. He says in verse 27, whom I shall see for myself <laughs> and my eyes shall behold and not another. In other words, he knows he's going to be alive, not, not just going to be a flesh puppet. He is going to be alive, and with his own eyes, he's going to see God. And it's not going to be somebody saying, Job, you ought to see him. He's really good looking, man. I know you can't be here, but he's really good looking. You'd love him. I th oh, and on his bright, there's glory. No, he's going to personally see him. That's what's exciting to Job. That's why he's saying, boy, I wish I had a rock where all these words can be engraved. You need to know this. The whole world's against me right now. Even the hand of God is against me. So I'd like to get this recorded indelibly. Put this in rock. Put some lead in it so that everybody can see it. I know my Redeemer lives. And I know he's going to stand on earth. And I know my skin's going to be destroyed. And yet I know I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. And I'm going to stand before God because I'm a justified man. Not because of any good thing I've done, but because of who I am trusting. Everybody with me on that? So I thought that's, that's pretty cool that he would have that sort of notion. But let's go take another little step there. I don't, Job knows that he's going to be on earth with his Redeemer, and he's going to see his God. He knew he would see God personally. All right, let's go to the testimony of one of his contemporaries, one of the people who was alive the same time Job was. Only this person had a little bit different calling on his life than Job did. This guy is Abram. And Abram has a call on his life. Abram and Job were alive about the same time. Neither of them had the law. Neither of them had Torah. Neither of them had any um, uh, you know, personal scroll that they carried around that had the, a New Testament or Old Testament in it. Both of them had simply the word of God that had been spoken orally, and that's all they knew. That other contemporary, Abram, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 for, okay? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. I'm glad the writer of Hebrews recorded this because the, uh, Moses writing in Genesis didn't record it, okay? But this is recorded for us. Let's pick up here with verse 8. And we're going to read down through verse 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Now, Job was, or I'm sorry, Abram was called from Ur of the Chaldees to go to a different place. You don't go across the desert. I think uh, maybe Lawrence of Arabia did that, if I remember right. But you don't go across the desert. You follow the Euphrates River up. 
And that takes you back up into Syria. When you get to Syria, you get to about Haran there. And from Haran, you go down into the promised land. It's, it's just too much to go across the desert. So you go where there's a water source. Well, guess what is just north of Ur of the Chaldees? Babel. If you remember, Babel was never torn down. It was stopped. Now, it's going to do the same trick that all things do. Entropy is going to take over, and sooner or later, it's going to either be covered by vegetation or it's going to crumble and fall apart. All those things are going to take place to it, but the ruins of it, if I can say it that way, it's ruins simply because they were now aged, Abram is going to walk past. You follow me? He's going to see that. And as he gets past it, that is the city whose builder and maker is man. Everybody with me? And that is in ruins. Does he want to go to a city like that? No. What happens to all the cities that Job knew, that Abram knew about? What happens to all of them? Oh, sometimes a climate change will come and maybe the, the prices go down and, or the prices go up and people say, I can't live here anymore. And as they walk away from an area, the area goes into decline. Ever seen anything like that happen? Sure you have. Right here. It's happening in this very area. As people leave an area, it goes in decline. Same thing can happen with your home, your house. If you don't do any repair work to it, entropy takes over and the whole thing just goes crumbling down. He walked past that. That's not eternal. So Abram looks at it and says, I don't want that house. I don't want that city. I don't want that place. All right, so let's go on a little further. He says, out to a place where he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where God was going to take him. He, he just simply knows he's supposed to follow God and do what God says. Now, let me just share this with you. He's going by faith. He gets a call, a call. Get out from where you're going. I have a place I'm going to send you to. I have something I'm going to do with you. Get out from that place. That's it. So all of his faith is based on that one thing. Everybody with me? It's not like he's getting daily notifications from God. He wasn't. He's got that one thing, and he follows what God has said to do, and he has to go until God says, don't go any further. Stop here. That's all he's got, kids. But he's walking by faith, doesn't know where he's going, but he's obediently following God because God's word was important to him, all right? But go on with me, because he says this, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. In other words, the place he had been promised was going to be his. He dwelt in it without owning it. He never got it. He got to live in it, but he never got it. Neither did his son Neither did his grandson, and neither did their sons get it. Everybody with me? They're not going to get that. So he dwelt there, it says, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. I'm trying to tell the trail life guys how important this is. Do you realize that our heirs, or I'm sorry, all the people who are before us, all of those good were outdoor people. I want you to consider with me. They're going to have to make things outdoors. They know the signs. They look up to see where the stars are. They know what the seasons are because they're looking at all the things around them. They're having to build fires. They're having to cook meat out over an open fire. They're having to do all kinds of things in the wilderness. Everybody see where I'm coming from? So it's important for our boys to retain that, get that back again. How would you live in the wilderness? How would you live if you have to go from place to place? They did. I know my Lord Jesus built fires. How do I know? He cooked. I mean, he had to be a fisherman too. He somehow gets fish and makes a fire and is cooking fish for the fishermen who had fished all night and hadn't caught a thing. So he's there, got this you got to know it was golden brown. <laughs> you got to know this was just right. But at any rate, he's living like a foreigner. This is not his home, so he's passing around all the time. He's going from one place to another, from one place to another. He's living with critters. He's got, uh, obviously, camels. 
Job doesn't look like that's the way he was doing. Job was living in a house. And Job's believing God. Abraham's living all around in tents and did so that whole time. But now watch what he goes on to say. He says um, he did that same thing with his uh, son Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Watch this. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Uh, guys, I'm going to tell you, you can read all over the book of Genesis, all about Abram, all you want, and you're never going to go across this. It doesn't say that any place in Genesis. But it tells us here that's what he was doing. Everybody, everybody see where I'm coming from? That he was recognizing there is a city someplace whose builder and maker is God. He'd already passed through the city by the city whose builder and maker was man. He'd already watched that there was a place called Salem where some guy named Melchizedek was king. He didn't live there. He could have chosen Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole valley down there. But Abram didn't live there. And he wouldn't have lived there. Why? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Everybody ever see where I'm coming from? All right. So, <clears throat> Abram then in verse 13, talking about, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. So, they never got to be that. They, uh, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, they all died and never got to possess that land, even though it was promised to them. For a long time, it had been promised to them. Matter of fact, they're not going to get to be there for another 400 years while God's waiting for the people of that area to go ahead and sin enough that the cup of their iniquity is full, and he's going to pour that cup of iniquity as his cup of wrath back on them again, and he's going to tell the, the Israelites, now I want you to go in, take the life of everything. It's their judgment. This is their judgment for what they've done in this land that belongs to me, that belongs to you. This is what they've done. It. They've shed innocent blood here. They've burned their children here. They've done immoral practices here. They have misused the resources that are here. So I want you to take their life. So what Israel was doing was not uh, an attempted genocide because of some ethnic cleansing they had in mind. It was because of the sin of that people having finally caught up with them and now he's responsible just like the flood was responsible to take the lives of the people who were now beyond reaching all right so let's go further it says that he's all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth how did they see them embrace them and confess that by faith. That's how they did it. They saw that there is a city whose builder and maker is God. How did they see it? I don't know. Does Genesis ever tell us about it? Not that I know anything about. That doesn't mean it didn't happen with them. They saw it. And because they saw it, they could be assured. Now, why am I telling you this? Kids, the truth of the matter is, you know you've been given a home in heaven. You know that Jesus promised you that there is a place that his father owns that he's going to build something for you, and you're going to be with him in that place. That's what he said to you. But you may die before you see that happen. Everybody with me? He has given you his word, and it's full of assurances of what that place is like. That's what I want us to get used to. All I'm going to try to deal with tonight is that you are going to be resurrected. Your Redeemer does already live, and you are going to have a resurrection, and we'll look somewhat at what your home is going to look like. Is that fair enough? That's, that's where we're planning to go with this. But go with me further. They were assured of those things. It's faith that did that. So our Lord is calling on you to have faith just like he was Peter and James and John and Paul and all the rest of them. They didn't get to receive those promises either. They saw them and were assured of them. 
They were willing to die for those things. They were not willing to give up any of their testimony because they knew they had a place saved for them. The book of Hebrews is written here to a group of people who were now beginning to turn their back on what this whole thing was about. They weren't receiving the promises. Jesus didn't come back when they thought he was going to come back. He, he didn't drive out the, the Romans, and, and he didn't set up a kingdom. And there's a lot of things he didn't. May I say to you, that's the same thing the Jews use today to declare that Jesus is not the Messiah. He didn't get those things done. Since he didn't get those things done, he's clearly not the Messiah. He is going to get those things done. That's still ahead for him. But our, our point here is <clears throat> they were assured of them. They knew they were going to happen, but they never received them. And that same thing's true for you. So let's go on to the next verse. 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. If you're going to live someplace as a foreigner, you're recognizing this is not my home. You're saying I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. That as nice as this is, as pretty as this is, this is not my final coming place. This is, this is going to be nice, and I'm supposed to live here, and I've got some things I've got to do here. There's things to plant, things to grow, there's things to live, there's things to do here. But this is not my home. Now, here's what I want you to get. And that's what I was trying to get to. These guys did not have a Bible. They had nothing but the word the Lord had spoken to them earlier. And those were on very special occasions, okay? Job got spoken to at the end of his um, uh, sufferings, not at the beginning. He was already believing God, but he didn't get to hear any of God's words until the end of his sufferings. And when he did, it humbled him, Some, something fierce. God, God just really unloaded a big bomb on him there and said, who do you think you are, son? Go ahead, ask me any questions, but where are you when I feed things? Where are you when I take care of things? Where were you when I've created things? And every word he said, Job's just going, okay, yeah, man, I was really wrong. I shouldn't have said all that. I'm, you know, I, I didn't know what I was saying, all right? They had to live every day in the same sustaining way you do. Do you realize they had to clean the tent out every day? They had to clean up camel mess every day. They had to feed the sheep every day. They had to doctor the sheep every day. It was routine, kids. Same old routine you're having to do too. And they continue to live by faith. So do you. Don't give up because you're just routine things and you're not having mountaintop experiences all the time. Neither did they. They only got to have those mountaintop experiences on occasion, and not every day. These are the people we live with. These are the people who are before us. Everybody see what I'm saying? This is what we're supposed to do, kids. You're not going to have mountaintop experiences all the time. What you're going to have is daily clean up this, clean up that, fix a meal here, eat a meal here, do what God's given you. Ecclesiastes says, listen, if you've got enough to have a meal and you've got people sitting at your table with you, that's the gift of God. Enjoy every moment of it. Then go to sleep. Get up the next day. You say, oh, it's just to repeat the same thing again. Yes. Yes. It's repeat the same thing again. Get over it. That's what we do. You aren't going to have a mountaintop experience every day. Maybe. Today, God will speak to you. Maybe today, God will bring an, an angel by. More than likely, not. And you're still going to have to believe. That's why he gave you the word of God. You go back, you look at it, you read it and say, everything's going to be so routine today. Everything's just like it was yesterday. Except, I'm a child of God I have a home, and it could be today. Oh, boy. You know, we need to be people like that. You remember that the story of the little boys that they wanted to test, see what makes kids happy, what makes them do what they, they want to do. And they put two boys in a room with um, a whole bunch of really nice toys. 
And these, these boys played with these toys and just really enjoyed them. And then they got a little bored with them. And they got a little destructive with them. Started throwing them at each other and doing all kinds of things with them. Oh, boy. They put another little boy in a room with horse manure. If, if you've heard this story, stop me. But this little boy in a room full of horse manure. And they went to the window to watch what was going on. He was throwing horse manure everywhere. Just, just going at it frantically. And finally they came in and said, son, son, what's the matter? Are you, are you okay? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. What are you doing? He said, are you kidding? With this much horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here someplace. You, you follow where I, So what's he doing? He's looking at today from a different perspective, right? So we have to be the kind of people who are saying, could be today. Jesus may come today. Jesus may call today. I have a home. Why? My Redeemer lives. I know he's going to stand on earth. I know that I'm going to be resurrected. I know I'm going to die. I'm terminal. I know that my skin's, but even if, if I do die and my skin's gone, I will be resurrected. And not only that, I'll get to stand before Almighty God because I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do day by day. All right, let me go. A couple, a couple other steps here because I want you to see a couple of things he says. They're seeking a homeland, verse 15 says, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So in other words, if Abram, who's living this thing every day, if Isaac, who's living this thing every day and doing the same routine stuff, waiting for God to do whatever it is he's going to do, waiting for us to inherit this whole thing, if they had said, this is crazy. We're just doing routine stuff every day. It's the same old stuff every day. Where's this promise? Where's all that? You know what? I'm going back to Ur. If they had thought to do that, the opportunity was there. They could have turned around and gone. But they didn't. Why? Let's look what it says. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that cool? They know there's a city prepared for them. When they see it, I don't know. How'd they see it? I don't know. But I don't have to. It tells me right here, they did. They were assured of it. They, they, they knew that was what was coming. So I want you to take one more look with me over to Proverbs, or Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. So what we get, I want you to see this, was a heavenly country and a heavenly city. So that sounds like heaven is where you're going, right? Hang with me. Here in Hebrews 12, starting with verse 22. Uh, we could read 18 and following, but I, I, I don't want to, go to get messed up with that one. I want to just go to this one. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Okay, so that's what he's saying you've come to. So, all of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, get this picture. You didn't come to any other mountain. You came to this mountain. It's called, uh, what, Mount Zion. And that mountain there has on it the city of the living God. That's what you've come to. And he goes on to tell us that it's a, uh, a heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly. You, you've come to where the home is. All your homies, if I can say it that way, are there. All of them are waiting for you. you have a, you're, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and they're all there. They've all been with in the same place you are, living day by day, same old routine stuff, and they have believed in that city that you're going to, and now they're living in that place. And they're waiting for you to come home. And on one day, he's got something he's going to do with that city, and we'll come to that in just for a moment, all right? So, that's, that's what you've come to, and that's what he's wanting you to see, that you have an innumerable company that's with you. There are angels who are with you. That's all in heaven. 
That's all in heaven. So when you die, as 2 Corinthians 5, matter of fact, just go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. And let's do a little Job talk here, shall we? Let's, let's get a little Job talk in, and then we'll, we'll come to what, what the conclusion of it is. Here, in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 5, For we know, now that this is saying this is something I've experienced. This is not intuitive. This is not just some sort of uh, uh, um, thought-up knowledge. This is something we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's why we've said you're in an earth suit while you're here. This thing we've got here is an earth suit. It's a tent. It is not a permanent dwelling. You are walking around in the same kind of thing that Abraham was walking in. You follow where I'm coming from? You're walking around in a tent, looking for a city, if I, or maybe I said it this way, a body whose builder and maker is God. You follow where I'm at? This is a temporary structure that you're in. You're going to leave this structure one day, and you hope so, kids, because it's not made to live in heaven. It was made to live here so you'd have an opportunity to fulfill what you need to do here, and then you'll leave it. You're getting that opportunity right now, okay? So let's go on further. This is what Job was saying. He said, I know this, if my skin is destroyed, okay? So he's telling us the same thing. If this earthly house, if this tent thing here is destroyed, you have another building coming. All right, let's go on further. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed our habitation, which is from heaven. So just like they were looking for a city, they're also looking for a dwelling place that's permanent. They're looking at it this way. They know this, that uh, we're groaning in this one right now. We want to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We want to have the resurrection. That's what we're wanting. Everybody, everybody see where I'm at? The, the resurrection body's not going to have the same problems this one has. You're, you're going to be free from that in the resurrection body. And your resurrection is guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, and because he's raised from the dead, he will raise you from the dead. So if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, he said, you'll be raised from the dead. All right, let's go on further. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, what does he mean by naked? Um, once you have passed away, you're, you're in this tent, and once your spirit leaves this tent, your spirit is unbodied. Is that a good word? Uh, anyway, it's not got a body anymore. So you are seen to be naked. So you're in between bodies. You're changing clothes. You follow where I'm coming from? So when you die, your spirit leaves this, and you're done with this, this tent. You are now naked. You're a spirit that doesn't have a body, a disembodied spirit. That's not where God wants to leave you. Why? Because you're a human. What do humans live in? Bodies. He made a body for us to live in. So you have to be resurrected. Is that making sense? You have to be resurrected. So he has a permanent home that you're switching to. But on the way to switch, you're going to have a period where you're naked. You're not. You're disembodied spirit. And your spirit's going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's fine. But you're not going to have your resurrection yet. Everybody follow me? Matter of fact, you're not going to have your resurrection till that great rapture takes place. That's when you get your resurrection. You say, well, man, I could be dust by that time. Yeah, you could. It's what he made you from to start with. Here's the deal. Psalm 139 says that in your book, all my members are written, all the days fashioned for me. Do you know what's in his book? Your DNA. How hard is it going to be to find you? It's the combination of the DNA. You bring dirt back up out of the ground and you put the DNA in it. Guess what? That's you. Only now he's changing something about it. He's giving a resurrection body. And that's a permanent body whose builder and maker is God. 
Everybody with me? So what you're, what you're getting on a personal level is what Abraham and Isaac and uh, Job and Jacob were all looking for, a city, a whole group of people who are just like that. They didn't ever think it's going to just be a personal thing to them. They understood a community is going to be saved in this thing. There's, you're going to be with a whole bunch of people who are going to be in the presence of the Lord. All right, let me go further with you. Verse 4, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. We're not not asking, Lord, make me a disembodied spirit. Boy, I can't wait to be a disembodied spirit. No, but further clothed. We want the right stuff. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Get the picture. When he gave you the spirit, that was your guarantee of your resurrection. That's where faith is coming from. Your faith is energized by the spirit of God who says, hey, Doug, you are going to have a new body. And the spirit hasn't necessarily assured me this, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be six foot three. I am pretty sure it's going to be really handsome. I'm pretty sure that it's going to have some... There's going to be some real muscles on that thing. You got me? Now, he hasn't necessarily told me that per se, but I can see it. You know, I'm trying to get the thing assured. I'm not quite there yet, but anyway. Now, the problem is I'm going to be wearing a white robe. None of you are going to get to see all this muscled-up structure that's me. Well, anyway. He's saying simply this. It's the Spirit who's given us that assurance. That's what you're looking forward to, kids, because the Spirit of God told you that. All right, go on. Well, I just broke my glasses. That's good. There we go. (laughs) Oh, oh boy. Oh, you know what I'm doing right now? Groaning. This is called groaning. (laughs) All right, let's back and see if we... So he goes on to say this. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So here's my spirit living in this body thing. So I'm asking for the Lord right now. When my spirit leaves this body, where am I going? Into the presence of the Lord. I'm going naked, but I'm still going to be in the presence of the Lord, right? That's what he goes on to say. For um, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what we're looking for, kids. So that's what you're getting. And you're waiting for that, that body that whose builder and maker is God. And when you get all of us waiting for that body whose builder and maker is God, we're all waiting for the city whose builder and maker is God. You follow that? Now, for the last, last little bit here, I'd like you to go to uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to give you just a little preview of where we're headed with this and uh, when we come to Revelation 21 in our study. John writes this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Where was it coming? When you die, where are you going to be? In the new Jerusalem. Remember, you came to the Mount Zion, to the city, the holy city, Jerusalem. Builder and maker is God. So this is the one who's made it. This is the one that Jesus said to you, I am going to to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back for you that you may be where I am. So here is this new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven. So when we all died and got our resurrection, we went to dwell in that new Jerusalem. But we're not staying there. We're coming down, down to earth. Let's look and see what it goes on to tell us. Um, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, but the former things have passed away. So all that stuff that was connected to the tent you lived in, that was connected to your being a foreigner, your being a stranger and a pilgrim, all that's out of your vision. It's gone. And you are now in a permanent building or a permanent body in a permanent building whose builder and maker was God. This was the city Abraham was looking for. This is the city Isaac was looking for. This is the city Job was looking for. This is the city Jacob was looking for. And this is the city that Jesus told we're going to have. And the Hebrews told us, this is the city that you're waiting for. You have come to Mount Zion. You've come to this place, but it's coming down out of heaven. Uh, Let's take a look at verse nine of this same chapter. All right. Hope I can see that. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven uh, last plagues came to me and talked with me. Am I reading the right place? Yeah. Uh, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. What's it doing? Descending out of heaven. Is it on earth? No. No, it's not on earth. It's descending. And I'm going to tell you, it stops. Let's go on a little further. It says, um, uh, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light uh, was... Am I saying that was was like a most precious stone, like jasper, um, clear as crystal? Okay. Now I'm not going to go into all the description about the stones and the foundations and that sort of thing. That's that's not part of what I want to look at. Here's where I do want to go. Go with me over to verse 22. This is still about that city Jerusalem, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So you don't have to have a temple in this one. No building in this one. They are the temple, okay? Let's go further. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. What did he tell us? He's the light of the world, okay? And the the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth... Have their, having, bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Where will there be no night? In the city. Everybody with me? But the kings and everyone else are walking in its light. There's no sun, no moon. Guess what, kids? That city is the light for the world. The world still in its turn is underneath this great city that is shining and it's shining on the surface of that earth. So there's night and day here, but not night and day there. Here's where you're living in that Jerusalem. The rest of the world is turning in its light and the rest of the world is giving honor to this one. You are the one ruling with Jesus from here. Everybody see where I'm coming from? So what you're reading in 21 is not a description of heaven. It's a description of the millennial kingdom. Everybody everybody see where I'm at there? I don't know what happens after the millennial kingdom is over. I haven't seen it tell us that any place. But I can know this. You are going to be in that angelic realm, you are going to be in that realm or they're going to be in ours. I don't know which it is, uh, or maybe we're all going to be in the same place. I, I don't know. But I know this. There's no more death in that one. No more pain in that one. No more sorrow in that one. No more uh, bones that ache. No more sorrows. No more hurting each other's feelings. No more being offended. There's nothing to be offended about. You follow me? So, Let me ask you this. 
Where are you going? Do you, have you, does this allow you to be homesick a little bit? That's where you got, that's what you got to look forward to. Yes, this tent is, is not going to make it. It can't get there. You understand that? That's a whole different place. This is, this is something that is temporary at best. It can't make it there. You're going to have to have a new building. You can't have the new building if you're not born again. You must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Fair enough? Comments, questions, thoughts? Anything? Mike? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It is a picture of it. Yes. It is. It is exactly. It's what he, was, he had to show him this. And John has not died yet. John's not gone through the resurrection yet. So John's, John, an, uh, a regenerate man, but not a man with a new body, is now, much like Moses, looking over into land he can't inhabit yet. Why can't he inhabit it? He's got to die first. He's got to go through a resurrection. He's got to get that new body. That's the only ones who can live in that new city. Nothing else is allowed to enter it. Amen. That's a good point. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Yes, amen. And that's what we're supposed to do. Praise the Lord, Larry. It was good. Colossians, he was just saying Colossians 3, 2 says, set your affection on things above. And Abram, though he walked past the, the, the Tower of Babel, that's not where he stopped. And he wasn't wanting any of the other cities. He set his affection on things above. And even though he's got to live the old routine stuff down here, he's still got his affection set somewhere else. Okay? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? <laughs> yes. Yes. And God, the great communicator, uses words to communicate with us that build pictures in our minds that give us the assurance of the things that are coming. Ah, praise the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you so much to these, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the things you've assured us in your word. We'll give you praise for that just now. For Christ's sake, amen.